The scripture reading for today comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Michael Whittem. I am the campus minister with a ministry called RUF. I serve uh, just down the road at Harvard. Uh, my family and I worship here, so if I haven't met you yet, uh, I would love to do so uh, after the service. Um, let me pray for us, and we will jump into this text together. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we come this morning uh, recognizing our own weakness our own limits, that though we are created in your image, uh, we are creatures who are dependent on you. We're dependent uh, in our daily lives, uh, in the way that we pray and approach you. We're dependent uh, to understand your word. So I pray that you would send your spirit this morning to teach us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So this morning, I'll remind you something of the English language that you already know. Uh, When G was reading our text, and you hear her read, the Lord helps us in our weakness. When you hear that word help, it's likely that just about all of us uh, think of some other synonym to try to make sense of that word. And so you you might have heard, uh, as she was reading, the Lord assists us in our weakness, or relieves, or soothes, or some other synonym to try to make sense of what exactly this passage is trying to communicate. And that is a common challenge when you come to a passage where the main word is a common used word. It feels like maybe it's left up to your own interpretation, that you can take it just however you wish. Uh, But here in Romans 8, uh, we see one of the two places where this particular word shows up. The other is in a passage that you might be equally familiar with. Um, It it happens, it occurs in Luke, uh, when Mary and Martha are uh, with Jesus. They're in uh, the home of Lazarus, and, uh, and Mary is sitting and listening to Jesus, and Martha is doing all of the work in the kitchen. My daughter went through a pretty uh, heavy Paul Revere phase, uh, so we went and visited the Paul Revere house a number of times. Maybe you've been to an old colonial house or some other house that's been uh, maintained in its original form, and you know that doing the work in the kitchen was hard, grueling work, keeping the fire going, carrying heavy pots and pans, um, doing everything by hand. And Mary is at the feet of Jesus, and she isn't helping. And so Martha goes to Jesus. You, you might maybe remember this scene. And she, and she says to him, Lord, 
Don't you care that she's left all the work to me? Tell her to help me. And I know it doesn't tell us everything that we need to know about this particular verb, but I think it gives us a picture and an insight into what Paul is communicating to us. It's not help in an abstract sense. This is, we're doing real life things. We need real, tangible help. It's that type of exasperation that you feel and express when you realize if someone doesn't step in, what needs to be done won't happen. I don't want to assume everything about your life as you come in this morning, but it is likely that you, like me, come in in a place where you know and feel your weakness, where you are run down or tired or sad or afraid or alone. And you don't need a pep talk this morning or just some pat inspirational message or a distraction or a brain break. You need real, meaningful, tangible help. You need the presence of the Spirit himself. You need Emmanuel, God with you. We're we're going to get into this passage in detail. It's a short passage, but I want to just look briefly at verse 26, where Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I just want to uh, highlight Paul's assumption of human weakness as a backdrop. He, he clearly does not point the finger just at the Roman church and says, oh, the Lord helps you in your weakness, you, you sweet, immature Christians. No, it is a first-person plural. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so if you come in this morning in need of help from the Lord, know that you are in the company of the Apostle Paul. And you are in the company of every person who is sitting in this pew and in every pew in God's church this morning. So I want to consider our passage from two angles. If you, if you want to just track with me or you like to take notes, uh, we'll just look at two points this morning. Um, those who need help and the one who helps. Very simple, straightforward this morning. So first, those who need help. We just took a moment to talk about the areas where we as people are weak and need help. We could go in any number of directions. And I think the Bible sort of opens us up to this conversation. And if you just took a moment to sort of take uh, your, sort of your temperature to, to know where you need help, you might go a number of ways. Some of us need help physically that you are hyper-aware of illnesses that plague you, of diseases that have infected your body and the bodies of people that you love, that our, our physical world is broken and fractured and full of pain and things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Maybe you, you have an awareness of that, that physical health that you need. Some of us are aware of our emotional need for help. That there was maybe a time where you felt stable and in control of your emotions, and now each day is not like the last. 
we're out of control, it feels like life is spiraling and we can't quite catch up to what we need. Or you feel relationally weak, that you had people and places and now relationships are broken and fractured or left behind. Or you can't have the relationships that you desire. And you have a longing, an insatiable need to have something that seems like it will never be there. All of our weaknesses, whatever that looks like for you this morning, is captured in this passage. And Paul narrows in on a particular expression of that weakness that is at the center of all of it. Verse 26, the Lord helps us in our weakness for... We do not know how to pray, excuse me, what to pray for as we ought. This way of talking about being weak is focused in particular on our life of prayer. If you are a Christian walking with Jesus, we know that it is good and right for us to pray. It's one of the few Christian disciplines that we've really maintained as a body of Christ. But we quickly realize when we go to the Lord in prayer in earnest, we don't always know what to pray. We don't know what to ask, and we find ourselves up against our own humanity, our own limits. I want to suggest at least two reasons why this is the case. First, we don't always know what God is doing. I would suggest to us that we've lived through a pretty intense couple of years. It seems like it's not over yet. Maybe you would say that you've lived through a pretty intense life. It is right and good for you to want to make sense of it. But I would would argue that that it is dangerous and we need to be careful to quickly say, well, I think this is what God is doing through this event or that event to simplify it, to put a silver lining over it. God's work in the world extends far beyond our understanding. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. I wonder if you have tried to muddle through a prayer for any of our current events, wondering what in the world is God up to? Sometimes we don't know how to pray because we don't know what God is doing in a situation that we want to pray for. We're finite people. So first, we don't know what God is doing. Second, we don't know what's happening in the world around us. Oftentimes, the situations that we are praying for are about circumstances and people and the events that are happening in our world around us. And so you might be praying this week about a coworker who makes your workday unbearable, or a friend who can't seem to get out of their own way. And we want to pray for these things, but we often don't know the full story or have a clear picture of what, what God is doing. And so we don't know how to pray with full accuracy. And, and we feel that limitation when we go to the Lord. We could think for a moment about the context of the church reading this letter in Rome. This letter was written around 57 AD, which means that the church is reading this under the persecution of Nero. And we know that Nero was a tyrant, especially to Christians. And so this church reading this letter 
is called to pray in the face of seeing their children, their fathers, their friends, their church family burned at the stake, tortured at the Colosseum, as they seek to grow in their faith and bond in their love for Jesus and spread the gospel. How would you pray for that? Do you pray, Lord, use this persecution to spread the gospel and build your kingdom? Do you pray, Lord, stop this? Preserve life. Would you stop this persecution? We could think about needs that we have in this, own, in, in this room. I know some of you are, are with and walking alongside those that you love dearly who are very sick. If you've ever sat at a bedside with someone you love, you know that tension of understanding how to pray. And the Lord calls attention to that, that very reality here. That we are people who don't know what to ask of the Lord in our weakness. We are needy people with human limitations that we cannot overcome by harder work or better spiritual preparation. I want you to feel your limitation and thankfulness that the Spirit would meet you in that place. That He doesn't shame you out of that place, but actually meets you there in your weakness. That this passage would point to the reality that God helps the weak. That God helps those who don't know what to say. God is with those who are at their wit's end. So I want to spend our, the remainder of our time this morning looking at the one who helps. The one who invites us as weak and needy people to him. All of Romans, Romans 8 in particular, make a lot of references to the Spirit. This, of course, is the third person of the Trinity, the one who is given to us as a helper. You could go and read, read the early chapters of Acts to, to get a better context of that. The Spirit is the one who is given to believers to indwell inside of us, the one who knows us. In verse 9, Paul, in verse 9 of chapter 8, Paul says, it is the Spirit of God who dwells in you. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He knows your inner frame. He knows you with an intimacy that no one else can know you. And I want you to see why this is important that Paul would communicate this. I wonder if you've ever tried to get something out, something communicate something to a dear friend Someone who really loves you and really wants to understand what it is you're trying to communicate. Maybe a real success that you have suffered through years of SATs and extracurriculars and advanced classes and you finally landed the school of your dreams. And you want someone to enter into that joy and that success with you. Or maybe a real sadness that you threw yourself again into a relationship where you gave your whole heart, where you put all of your hopes and your expectations and your future dreams, and you were crushed. 
And you wanted that friend to be in it with you. And you realize no one can totally get you. I wonder if you've, have you ever felt like this? That even someone who loves you, who is trying to listen and understand, can't fully get you. They're dependent on your ability to articulate, your ability to understand every angle of your situation, to understand the breadth of the experience that you just had. And Paul says, the Spirit knows you more deeply than you know yourself. The Spirit of God who dwells within you knows your inner frame. He has a better handle on you, your motivation, your thoughts, your values, your faith, all of those things than even you do of yourself. And so the Spirit knows you, and the Spirit knows the will of God. Look at verse 27. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit, who is fully God, knows you and the will of God because He is God. And what He does with all of that is He goes to the Father knowing His will, knowing how to pray for you. You and I, in our weakness, don't know what to ask or how to pray, but we have God Himself who dwells inside of us, who knows our inner being, who, who brings our desires to God. Our passage calls this intercession, this go-between two parties. But he takes our needs to the Father. But I think we could even layer more on that from this passage. He doesn't just know our frame and know the will of God and intercede for us to God, but he does it in a particular way. Our passage says he groans. If you've read Romans 8 anytime recently, that word in particular should ring some bells. Earlier, Paul says that the whole creation groans because of its brokenness. And as Paul goes on to make his argument about the brokenness and sin of the world, he says that creation isn't the only thing that groans, but you and I groan as we, as we think about our own situation, as we see our own sin, as we understand who God is and His holiness and our sinfulness to Him. When does someone groan? And they groan when they are so deeply invested in something. Not a sigh, not a moan. You groan when you get bad news about someone you really care about. You groan when you lose out on the thing that you wanted so badly. And here our text says it's, it's no longer creation that's groaning or, or us. It's not people who are groaning, but the Spirit groans to God the Father for you. It says the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so I want to layer even again on top 
of the groaning of the Spirit because this word that, that we translate too deep for words really means wordless. That the Spirit is so invested in His people, in the people that He indwells, in you and me, that He groans to the Father, speechless. This means that we can pray with confidence recognizing we don't always know what to pray or how to pray as we ought, knowing that the Spirit who dwells within us groans to the Father, knowing His will, wordless for us. It's likely you come in this morning and you have been praying for your children for years to know the Lord, to grow up in the faith, to be people who are wise. You've been praying for years for the sin that is so deeply embedded within you, you believe it will be part of you forever. And you are hopeless. That you come in this morning, that you've been praying for a person that you love dearly, who is so far away from the Lord, who has broken relationship with you, and you want to see reconciliation, and you are so beyond your own wits that you don't even know what to ask anymore. And the Spirit groans for that. How does it help us to know that the Spirit would groan for us without words. Um, if you'll indulge me in a personal story, I think this will help illustrate, and I just want to say as uh, sort of a, a preface that I know that in a room even this size, there is likely loss and maybe even active grief happening. I want to be sensitive to that. Um, Maybe you know this, but before uh, Anna and I had our two girls uh, who are in Sunday school or, or children's worship right now, we had a son named Arthur. And uh, when Anna was about 20 weeks pregnant with Arthur, she uh, went to visit a friend, uh, her college roommate in New York. And she was there. I stayed home. Uh, we were living in Charlotte at the time. And a few days into that trip, I got a call late at night that um, she was pretty sure that her water had broken and that she was going to the hospital. And uh, it, was, uh, there, it was the winter months. It was just on the heels of a, a nor'easter. And so uh, airports were shutting down. Travel was a challenge. Um, and I was 24, and I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know how to enter into this situation. I didn't know how to be a person who was emotionally present or available. Uh, but I knew that I needed to find a way to get from where I was to where she was. And, and what would happen uh, you know, beyond this story is months-long uh, string of, of long hospital stays and, and bed rest and ultimately loss. But in this exact moment, I knew that I needed to be where she was. And I did the only thing I could think to do in that late night moment, and it was to call my friend John. And John lived a few blocks down from me, but he was a consultant at the time, and I knew he was working with clients in New York. I felt like he was my only shot to get to a place that seemed so foreign to me. 
And it wasn't two hours later that uh, in my daze and confusion and in my inability, John shows up at my front door with a plane ticket and a cup of coffee and tells me to get in his car. And so John, in that moment, stepped in knowing what I needed. But we actually can layer on top of that story that John's wife, Sarah, is a neonatal nurse. And so John actually knew not just what I needed, but what I was stepping into, what those next months were going to be like. And halfway through that 15-minute ride to the airport, I look over at my friend John, and he is red-faced, gasping for breath, tears streaming that should have been mine feeling for me in ways that I didn't know to feel for myself yet. His response to my need was no words, was presence, and it was humbling. It is humbling to have someone enter so deeply into your pain that they are feeling more for you than you are for yourself. It is humbling to have someone who is with you. And it is endearing. From that car ride forward, I have never once wondered if John loves me. But could we map that same reality on the third person of the Trinity? That the Spirit enters into our weakness. He did not have to take notice and care for our pain. But he does. Because love isn't something that he does on occasion. He is love. And it's humbling. If we can hear it, that he groans for your disappointment, your loss, your loneliness, your neediness. Are there not bigger concerns in the universe than your loneliness? Not to the Spirit. He groans for that reality. And it's endearing. He loves us in our weakness so we don't have to wonder. As we pray for all of the needs around us that that we seem to have on our hearts and on our minds for years and years, and we wonder, where is God? He is with us. He has indwelled his people. This is a God who doesn't resent our weakness, but holds us there. He loves us so much that he sent his son who would become a person who was weak, enduring temptation and torture and abandonment and death to substitute for your weakness, to take it onto himself so that one day you would be restored and you would be with him. Certainly, this is an invitation to faith, that if you don't know Jesus, it's an invitation to walk with him. He is your only hope in your need. But from this passage, this is an invitation to pray. To pray unceasingly. To pray with confidence. Believing that all that you need is met in Christ. In your weakness, you are met with God's kindness. 
And in doing so, in going to the Lord in prayer, you were met face to face with the one who can help. Let me pray. Lord God, this uh, is a good word to many of us who know deeply our need, who feel acutely our inability, our helplessness. And so I pray that you would meet us in your word, that you would meet us by your spirit, and that you would meet us even at this table that we're going to celebrate together this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.